This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Hey, this is Aubrey Citizen, writer of comics, host of podcasts, lover of cold drinks on hot days, and you are listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Podcast with Joe and Matt. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 474 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. My name is Matt Baum, and I sit here alone because... Because I'm in the remote Ziggurat. I'm the internet's (laughs) Joe Patrick. Each week, we discuss Wednesday's new comics, comic book movies, TV news, and of course, the constantly pumping rumor mill that keeps the sewers of the internet stinky and mean. You got that right. After that, we're going to hit some reviews, and then our very own nerd on the street, Ryan Mount, sits down for a chat with Aubrey Sitterson about the dangers of G.I. Joe fandom. It's a real thing, folks. <laughs> yeah, but, it is. But first, you might want to take the kitties out of the room, because it's time to talk about this week's Nerd News! Nerd News! Superman's 80th anniversary is almost here, and DC is getting ready to celebrate in a big way. He looks great for 80, by the way. Yeah, he's really, like, taking care of himself. Yeah. A redesigned Superman, if you can call it that, will debut in April 18th's Action Comics 1000 with the iconic Red Trunks officially back as part of the new design. He's got his underwear back on. Like, they keep calling it a new design, but it's the same, it's the classic costume with that weird piping around his wrists is all. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Like, they're obsessed with that Man of Steel wristband shit. I I don't know why. Yeah, I don't get it either. It's fine, though. It's not, like, a deal breaker. Action Comics 1000's cover is drawn by Jim Lee, inker Scott Williams, and colorist Alex Sinclair, like we said, it is the classic costume with some modern nuances, they say. Modern nuances. <laughs> uh, for me, that's like the beginning and ending of like the most important part of the story is the trunks. But Action Comics 1000 is shaping up to be a huge event. It's going to have 15 page stories from the creative teams of both of the Superman titles. Uh, Dan Jurgens writing one, and Pete Tomasi and Patrick Gleason writing the other. Plus, additional stories planned from the likes of Richard Donner, Jeff Johns, Olivier Coipel, Paul Dini, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, Tom King, Clay Mann, Brad Meltzer, Louise Simonson, it's on and on, Scott Snyder and Tim Sale. And Marv uh, Wolfman! Marv, Wolf- <laughs> Marv Wolfman. Marv Wolfman is writing a story based on unpublished art by the late Kurt Swan, who is probably the most iconic Superman artist ever. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, Which is very exciting to me. There's also going to be a 384-page Action Comics 1000 hardcover companion edited by Paul Levitz with a bunch of key reprints. Uh, a bunch of essays by big brain comic historians and the craziest thing, an unpublished Superman story created by Jerry Siegel and the Joe Schuster studio. 
not exactly Joe Shuster. Yeah, what does that, that mean? What does that mean? I think it's pe- like people that work for him, that like ghost artists or okay. something. Okay. And the crazy thing about this story is that this artwork was rescued from destruction by a young Marv Wolfman when he was touring the DC offices in the 60s. That just sounds nuts. That sounds and completely it, nuts. Until it's so baffling to, the, to me that until relatively recently, like the last 30, year, 30 years or so, they just carted that stuff to the incinerator. Yeah, they just threw it away. They didn't know. It, I mean, just like your parents carted your comics to the incinerator because nobody knew any of it was worth anything back in the day. Uh, like you know? all of this golden age history, though, just gone. Yeah. And, and like and this is artwork that they never even bothered to use. Well, and how many stories have we heard like this about like, oh, so and so was getting rid of a trunk or something and they opened it up and they found like the first appearance of Captain America original art or something is like someone was just like, well, I'm not pitching that. I'm going to hold it over here. (laughs) This is going to be huge. This is, I I love that they're doing a big slam bang action comics. 1000. It sounds like they're doing it right with, I'm very excited. A mixture of new old and beloved creators. I mean, this sounds awesome and it better not cost 10 bucks. <laughs> it's going to cost, it's going to cost seven ninety nine for the comic. Okay. Which is, I think 80 pages. And then the hardcover I think is going to be 30 or 40 bucks, but it's like hundreds of pages. And that's going to have the companion stuff in it too, right? The companion stuff. Right. Yeah. I, and I'm totally um, going to buy it. I'm totally going to buy it. It's awesome. Oh yeah. Like I'll buy that hardcover for sure. Finally, the long national nightmare is over. After seven years, we got the undies back. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's just so stupid. It took we did long. it. <laughs> well, we did it, folks. We did it. <laughs> Marvel Comics has announced its slate of 2018 young artists to watch. The announcement is part of the company's Young Guns program, which began back in 2004, and I don't think anyone has cared about it since. Back then, yeah. it spotlighted different groups of artists such as Steve McNiven, Jim Chung, Laniel Yu, Daniel Kuna, Sarah Pacelli, before petering out in 2014. I can't believe it lasted that long. Oh, that's the thing. They didn't. They only did it four times yeah. in 10 years. Marvel has selected six emerging artists to recognize this year, and those artists are the young and talented Pepe Larraz on Avengers No Surrender, the barely over 20 Javier Garon artist <laughs> on a secret upcoming project, the I think only 15-year-old Marco Cicchetto, who we like to call Marco Cheese Cheeto, the artist and old man Hawkeye, and I don't think Aaron Cooter is even legal age to date. He's the artist on Infinity Countdown. And then, of course, you have Mike Del Mundo, the artist on a secret upcoming project. I'll be discussing Del Mundo later on in the show. And the very young, cherubic Russell Dauterman, artist on Mighty Thor. Joe, is it just me? Are these guns not exactly young? And does young guns sound just as stupid now? As it did in 2004. <laughs> yeah, it's really stupid. None of these are young people. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> their age, their age isn't really the, the, the thing that bugs me. It's the fact that these guys have all been working for Marvel. For like, like a daughter has been there at for least like a few years, six years. I mean, yeah. Aaron Cooter has been with DC for, I mean, he's been around for at least the last five or 10. I mean, come on. <laughs> he jumped, yeah, and he jumped over to Marvel a couple years ago. And he's great. Uh, Russell, Russell Dowderman, like you said, he's been drawing the Mighty Thor for, for what seems like forever now. Right. Marco Cicchetto has been at Marvel for a long time. These are not like, <laughs> they're, they're great artists, 
and I think they're very talented and I like them all. Yeah. Nothing but, against these artists. They're all super talented. Like this sort of thing. And I'm saying it's probably necessary, but this seems like a desperate move by Marvel because they have to do something to get people excited about their creators again. Yeah. That's all this is. It's just like, Hey, let's highlight some creators that we know are super talented and everybody already loves. And it seems stupid to guys like you and me who are already reading this stuff and are already well aware of them. But I will say if they're going to give them some type of push to others that are casual Marvel fans or lapsed Marvel fans or something, then maybe that's good. I mean, it's better than them just shuffling the deck constantly and going, all right, artists don't matter, whatever, you know? Right. I mean, and right. They got they got a lot of they got in a lot of hot water for that attitude. And they have to do something to to get people interested because they have lost creators left and right. Yeah. It's been a revolving Uh, door recently. I I just read a thing from Chip Zdarsky the other day and he's like, I just got back from the Marvel retreat. He's like, you guys, Bendis doesn't have any books coming up. I'm super worried about him. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. It's hilarious. DC does the same thing too, but you know, they, they recognize that they've got these, big names that have been with them for a while. And so when they do their big creator promotion, their, their big push, they're not trying to like trick us into thinking that this is some hot, there's some new hotness. Yeah. It's the, like the, it's the DC masterclass. Right. You know, or, you or know, whatever, or just promote. I, I would even say promote the book and the talent together. And that yeah. comes off as a little more, genuine than this whole like oh it, it's like if all of a sudden next year the patriots are like introducing our new hot quarterback tom brady like oh no <laughs> tom's right. been there for a really long time doing just fine like, yeah pump up the team you know whatever that's fine but i mean so, like I, i'm fine with them doing this kind of like promote creators by all means but for the love of god young guns is so stupid yeah it's ridiculous Speaking Where's of, Emilio Estevez and Lou Diamond Phillips? <laughs> Speaking of revolving doors, tell me about my man Dan Slott and his new job. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, we touched on it briefly in our last show. Writer Dan Slott has officially announced that he is leaving Amazing Spider-Man with issue 801. The writer is staying at Marvel Comics. In an interview with Vulture, Slott revealed that he will be taking over writing duties on Iron Man featuring a resurrected or rejuvenated or whatever Tony Stark. I don't know. He wasn't dead, right? He was just in a coma. No, he was dead. No, no, no. He was in a coma. Oh, I thought Carol just straight up murdered. Didn't she pop his head off during civil war two? No, he was like, his body was recovering. Oh, I thought she tore him. I thought she tore him in half and then she ate both halves of the brain to like stop the civil war. Yeah, you might be right. <laughs> I think it's how it I, happened. I blacked out. <laughs> I blanked part of that out. Marvel initially hinted at Slot's departure back in December. We talked about it. They started to promote this upcoming uh, Red Goblin storyline, uh, calling it his the most harrowing Spider-Man story that he saved for last. Um, but this was the first official confirmation. Slot said to Vulture, quote, this was a decision that was made way long ago and he's felt like a jerk because whenever someone would ask him or interview him, 
they would inevitably say, how long are you staying on Spider-Man? And he would look at them straight in the face and say, I'm never leaving. <laughs> Just in the, exact, in the exact same way that he would tell people, Peter Parker is never coming back from the dead. I killed him. See, that's what I love about Dan Slott, though. Dan Slott is not afraid to just like play the media and do the yeah. job. It's like he's a professional wrestler. He's in character, right. you know, and, and, and he's and he, doing the job. He's 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 working the kayfabe, you know, when they come up and they're yeah. like, you ruined Spider-Man. When are you going to fix it? And he's like, never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he straight and up says. It works so great. And he would, he would constantly, if you follow him on Twitter, he would constantly retweet people that are just like, why are you ruining everything? I hate you. And he's like, just doing my job <laughs> you know yeah and he was so much fun with this stuff i love the guy he and he straight up said the vulture i lied i lied horribly but that's what storytellers do yeah we spin lies he said that he's known that this was going to be his final issue since 2014 uh this was right when uh spider-verse kind of wrapped up and he started doing the math and, and then he realized that after issue 800 hit there wouldn't be any new benchmarks to hit for a really long time. Right. He started counting down and he would post these, he would post pictures of his whiteboard where he's counting down these numbers and people kept asking him what he was counting down to. And this is it. <laughs> That's so great. Now, and he like documented it on his Instagram. So people would know he wasn't lying. Yeah. I love it. I, I love Dan Slott. I have loved his amazing Spider-Man and it's been up and down. There's things I didn't love. I'm, I'm in the camp that thinks none of it was terrible and it no, all I've loved and I've it all loved. led to fantastic storylines. Now, I think Iron Man is the perfect playground for him though. Just perfect. I do too. You I know? do too. They I can go I think, completely nuts. And truthfully, they can't really screw up Iron Man any more than Iron Man has already been screwed up. Like, <laughs> so. like Iron Man is a Iron Man is a major character for Marvel. Right. Uh, uh they've been treating him as kind of like a flagship character since the popularity of the movies and everything. Yeah, remember they were like, move over, Spider-Man. Iron yeah, exactly. Man is the new flagship character. F you. <laughs> and everybody went, but, huh? And then they quietly shut up about that. Yeah, they, they kind of <laughs> forgot about it. Um, but if you look back at what's been done to that character over the last like five years or so, they made him evil. They've revealed that he was adopted. Yeah. Uh, revealed they, he had a brother. Yeah, they, yeah right. His Yeah, he's a secret brother. Yep. Like, they've gone bonkers with that character everything but making him a kid again basically yeah (laughs) they they did that in the 90s yeah so yeah i think slot could come on to iron man and do some really great things and i think this change is going to be good no, absolutely. And I, I want to thank Dan Slott for all his work on Amazing Spider-Man. I'm glad he's not leaving Marvel. I'm glad that he's getting another major character to play with. I hope we have just as much fun here, and I can't wait to see what the haters have to say about it. Oh, they're going to be hating. Oh, they already have been. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so there's your nerd news for this week. And of course, we want to hear from you on these stories and everything we missed. So hit us up on the Ziggurat direct line at 402-819-4894 and share your thoughts with us on these stories and more for our cover to cover call in show. You can call us live every Saturday morning from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time. And you can watch the action live on our Facebook page. But that's enough of this garbage. It's review time on the show where Joe and I desperately try to get creators to retweet us by saying sweet things about their comics. Joe, what's your review this week and who do you wish loved you? Oh, man. M- Mark Russell got all excited about my Snagglepuss review and retweeted oh, that's it. That's awesome. Yeah, it was nice. 
This week I'm reviewing Avengers number 675 through number 677. Yeah, you heard me. Cheater. Three comics. Cheater. These are from Marvel Comics, written by Mark Wade, Jim Zub, and Al Ewing, with art by Pepe Larraz, one of your 2018 young guns. The youngest of the guns. Yeah, the youngest of all the guns. Yeah, he's like four. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a zygote. Yeah, he's the most talented third grader you've ever seen. <laughs> this is 40 pages for four ninety nine for chapter one, 675. And I believe chapters two and three were regular size, 32 pages for three ninety nine. That is correct. Here is your solicit. No Surrender, parts one through three. Avengers goes weekly for the stunning 16-part saga that will write the end of an era. The Earth has been stolen. The sky burns while mysterious cosmic objects crash down from above, wreaking havoc across the world. The Avengers are the last line of defense between Earth and the mysterious forces threatening to tear it apart. It's time to assemble the teams you know and love from Avengers, Uncanny Avengers, Us Avengers, and <laughs> Occupy Avengers come together to face a threat beyond any they've faced before in a weekly epic adventure that will define the future of Earth's mightiest heroes. Hot damn. Yeah. We've talked about this before. It's been a long time since the Avengers books have felt like the Avengers. Truly. So I was really looking forward to this mini event since it was announced a few months ago. No Surrender brings together the writers and the casts of all of the extant Avengers titles for a slam bang cosmic crossover in the classic style. I'm more of a bang slam guy myself, but you know. Yeah, yeah, you like to be different. <laughs> My fear with this storyline was that the weekly chapters would feel slight on their own. But I was happy to find that it wasn't the case. Each installment was packed with classic superhero action. Part one set up the premise and introduced the mystery of Voyager. Part two gave us uh, a hint at the mysterious character's backstory. Part three started to uncover the villains behind the plot and offered some great character moments for certain members of the cast. Which brings me to my next point. It would have been very easy for characterization to get lost with a cast this large. But Wade, Zub, and Ewing so far are doing a great job juggling the, the, the diverse personalities. I mean, it's true, like, in the first five pages of part one, half of the Avengers get frozen in suspended animation. Yeah, <laughs> like, let's just take you off the board for a minute, okay, guys? But it's still a pretty big cast, and they're doing a great job with all the voices. Definitely. Uh, I especially am enjoying the mystery of Voyager. I love the nods that they're making to Mark Wade's 90s DC creation Triumph. Uh, who was another time-lost hero that history forgot, who had a secret impact on classic continuity. Uh, if you read part two that gives Voyager's backstory, that is essentially Triumph. She, the, the villain that she's fighting is a an homage to the character Triumph. Okay, I did not know who this. Was, yeah, he was in the Justice League for a while, and he was he kind of faded into obscurity. And Grant Morrison brought him back as a crazy villain, uh, and he got turned to glass and destroyed. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Well, sorry, Triumph. Anyway, it's a it's a fun little uh, kind of in joke if you were around in the '90s to read those terrible comics. Right. Pepe Larraz is the artist for month one of No Surrender. 
And I think he's doing an amazing job. His style is full of energy, and it fits perfectly with the high-stakes action. My one complaint is that some of his characters don't have a ton of variety. For example, if it wasn't for like Sunspot having a streak in his hair, Lightning and Sunspot look basically the same. <laughs> okay. In fact, they're, they're also both wearing suits yeah. and not costumes, which makes it even harder. I'm really enjoying Avengers No Surrender so far. I hope that this team can keep up the momentum and that when all is said and done, we're left with one, maybe two great Avengers titles, not five Avengers titles, four of which nobody cares about. Yes. I'm giving No Surrender so far a buy it. I am too. I, I, it's fun and it feels like old Avengers and they're doing it with some characters that I don't necessarily even think should be Avengers, but I'm enjoying it. And if this returns, like you were saying, everything to the old school sort of revolving cast with your, you know, normal members that are always there calling up other members of the Avengers to help do stuff. Great. That's exactly what I want. I don't need six Avengers books. I want one Avengers book that feels like the Avengers. And this looks like it's going there. So I'm giving it a buy it. Awesome. Tell me what you read this week. This week I read Abbott number one from Boom. It's written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Sammy Kivella. Sorry if I said that wrong. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Hugo Award nominated novelist Saladin Ahmed, who works on Black Bolt, and artist Sammy Cavella, who works on Beautiful Canvas, present one woman's search for the truth that destroyed her family. Hard-nosed, chain-smoking tabloid reporter Elena Abbott investigates a series of grisly crimes that the police have ignored. Crimes she knows to be the work of a dark occult forces. Forces that took her husband from her. Forces she has sworn to destroy! Oh, crap. So if you read that, it sounds like, all right, I'm getting into super, supernatural horror book with a reporter, right? I walked into Abbott without even reading the solicit. So Same. I, yeah, I knew nothing Same. about it. <laughs> I know I, exactly where we're going here. I found myself pleasantly surprised to find the story is set in Detroit in the early 1970s. At the time, the predominantly white police had been dealing with civil rights riots and Vietnam protests, which they largely saw as the work of black militants. Abbott is a black crime reporter working for the Detroit Daily, and she's recently published a story exposing a police brutality case wherein a young black man was beaten to death by the cops. Needless to say, the cops don't love it. When she shows up to investigate the death and dismemberment of a police horse, she finds that the crime scene is all too familiar and quickly realizes there may be a connection to her own past. Ahmed captures the black exploitation feel of movies like Superfly and Shaft here, but gives us a very hard-nosed female reporter that lives in real-world Detroit at that time and is dealing with all manner of prejudice, both from the police, from the owners of the newspaper, and trying to do her job. It's she's using her journalistic and detective skills rather than her fists to do so. And it makes her a very believable and intelligent character. Sammy Cavell- See, I'm going to I'm going to disagree with you about the black exploitation thing, because the thing about black exploitation is that it's so exaggerated. Oh, sure. But I mean, just mean like the dialogue and stuff here is kind of cheeseball here and there. And oh, I, I dis- it felt I very it felt kind of 70s film to me, which. Well, yeah, worked I mean, it's, for a, me. it's a period piece and they're talking right. like people talked back then, but it's it's very gritty. And there's like a there's a realism like when characters in power are matter of factly just like using racial slurs like it's nothing. Sure. 
Um, you know, it's like a, it's a real kind of jarring. It, it really sets the tone and sets the time. Oh, absolutely. That this story takes place in. And when I say black exploitation, I don't mean that it was fake. I mean they did that stuff in those movies. Now, were there characters that were larger in life? Sure, but they were dealing with street level problems like racism and drugs and stuff like that. Sure. So, and that's where this comes in for me. And it also Sammy Cavella's art did it as well. The way that they he put everything together and drew everything in sort of this very realistic hard-nosed pulp kind of feel, but still was able to bring in supernatural elements that worked really, really well for me. And that's something we've bitched about in other books quite often, where you have a really good real-world setting, and the voice is good, and the characters are good, and you really like what's going on here, and then all of a sudden it takes this bizarre supernatural turn that you just don't even need. You could have just told me this other story. I've bitched about that several times. I did not have that problem here. I thought they kept it together really well. I did, I did not have that problem either, but I will say that it caught me off guard. Yeah, I didn't see it coming. Because like you, you might recall we talked about this in the Drunk Nerd's Guide to Previews right. a couple of months ago. Um, I must have totally forgot the stuff in the solicit about Supernatural. Yeah. Because when I picked up this book, I literally just thought it was going to be a 70s crime drama. No, I'm right there with you. That's what I thought it was because I totally forgot as well. And when it, and, did, uh, when it did turn, it worked for me. Yeah, right. They, it, it, they did it in such a, a, a good way. And uh, it wasn't like ooga booga things jumping out, you no, know, not at all. Completely out of place. Really like how they handled it. Yeah, I'm giving this a huge buy it. Same here. I loved this book. I thought it was really great. Um, like I said, different than what I was expecting. Very pleasantly surprised. And I'm on board for the rest. Saladin Ahmed is stupid talented. Yeah, definitely. For somebody so new to comics, he is really taking to it. Yeah. Now that we've told you how to think about these comics, we want you to tell us how we got it wrong. We'll post these reviews onto it at nerd.com so you can respond in the review section of the THN forums or the THN Facebook fan page or Twitter or wherever you want to yell yeah, at us. just throw it at us. At this point in the ride, you may want to strap yourselves in, nerds. It's time to review eight more comments as fast as humanly possible. So hold on to your butts because it's time for the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed! Go! Strangers in Paradise XXV, number one from Abstract Studios. Terry Moore steps back into the world of Francine and Kachu, and it feels like coming home again. I love how Moore is weaving together the worlds of his various titles, building on elements that once seemed disconnected. Like in this first issue, he just like flat out explicitly ties it to Echo, the sci-fi superhero book that he did. Oh, neat. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this first issue could have benefited from a bit of catch up with the characters and their current status is quo but reading this felt like a warm reunion with an old friend it's a huge buy-in inhumans judgment day number one from marvel inhumans are still going through a whole thing dealing with the primogen and now the progenitors but i have to say with al ewing writing i'm finding the whole inhuman story a lot more palatable mike del mundo another young gun Kills yeah. it on art here, and the two do a nice job catching readers up on the entire journey to this point. <laughs> Judgment Day isn't necessarily a jumping on point, but it's not a bad read either. I'm giving this a buy it, which is a big step for me, because I have not cared about any of this inhuman stuff 
for like five years now. Damage, number one for DC. DC's new Age of Heroes starts with damage and some stuff happens, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how you can make a comic that's basically a Hulk pit ripoff boring. Beautiful art by Tony Daniel, but the story by Robert Venditti just seemed too slight. You've got to wonder if Tony Daniel's like, look, Robert, this is what I do, and this is all that I do. So you tailor it to me, or I'm done. <laughs> I, I, I am a little bit worried that uh, it's not that it was even bad. It's just like there's some smashing. There's a kid that jumps out of a helicopter. Some people are mad at him, and I don't. We're not given any reason to care about any of it. Yeah. I'm going to try another issue or two, but for now, damage gets a skim it. I thought it kind of sucked. I mean, the art was really good. Fair enough. Raven, Daughter of Darkness, number one from DC. Marv Wolfman returns to Raven to re-establish her as a young woman who definitely has not been around long at all. In fact, she doesn't even know who about Santa Claus. That's <laughs> Her dad is still the same old Trigon, Doom Demon, and there's an escaped girl with illusion powers that's running from some kind of underground tech group or something. The story was fine, and Pop Man's art is solid, but I certainly didn't learn anything new about this new Raven to make me care at all. I'm giving this a leave it. I was going to give it a skim it. I'm saying leave it. I just don't care. Whoa. Okay. Legion, number one from Marvel. Peter Milligan is back doing whatever the hell Peter Milligan wants. I hope you weren't looking for a story that was at least reminiscent of the tone of the FX show, or even a story that built on the well-received X-Men Legacy run that starred Legion a few years ago. This was a disconnected mess and a terrible introduction to the character for any new fans that miraculously stumbled onto this book after watching the TV show. I love artist Wilfredo Torres, but he seems mismatched here. His art is like clean and minimalist. Legion is a book that needs to be like huge, crazy visuals. And that's not what he does. Yeah. This should look like I'm, that Bucky series that we just got. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, I forget his, I forget the guy's name, but yes, I totally agree. Uh, I'm giving Legion a leave it. I, I don't like it. I don't care. This was a bad idea. Fair enough. Dissonance. Marco Rudy is the artist's name. Okay. Dissonance, number one, from Image slash Top Cow. There's highbrow sci-fi, and then there's sci-fi that's just way too complex to even care about. Dissonance centers around an alien race that doesn't have a soul, but comes to Earth to share bodies with humans. Some of the bodies they share, they fully merge with. Others, they only kind of merge, but they turn into crazy-looking animal people that run the future or something like that. Not only was Dissonance wordy and over-narrated, but it was boring, too. I'm giving this a leave-it. You cannot start a book with six pages of fairy tale background that makes almost no sense that sets up a story that doesn't go anywhere. I'm sorry, but this did not suck me in at all. Leave it. The Further Adventures of Nick Wilson, number one from Image. Mark Andreco has written many DC comics I enjoy, like DC's Manhunter. Co-writer Steve Gorodetsky, on the other hand, is a screenwriter responsible for some of the worst television ever made. Fair enough. Such as the Big Bang Theory and Two and a Half Men. And if you like those shows, you're wrong. Yeah. Somehow, this weird pair pull off a fun story about a quote-unquote real-life superhero and what happens when his powers and his fame fade away. Great art by the criminally underutilized Steve Sadowski. I'm looking forward to more of the, the further adventures of Nick Wilson. I 
I wish I had not looked up who that co-writer is <laughs> because it really colored my perception of it. But I have to admit, I liked it. I'm giving it a buy it. Gears of War, Rise of Ram, number one from IDW. Curtis J. Weeby gets the unenviable job of writing the backstory of Gears' biggest bad guy. But here's the thing about ultimately evil insect bad guys. They're hard to root for, let alone connect with at all on any level. <laughs> Max Dunbar does a solid job on art, and God bless Weeby for doing all the Gears research and writing a good enough script. I just found The Rise of Ram very hard to care about. I'm giving it a skim. That is your ludicrous speed round, and is the sound of a cell phone ringing as seen in the pages of Black Magic. Oh, not number one. I think number 10. Oh, no, you're right. It's number 10. This onomatopoeia was submitted by JD Gotta Catch Em All via the THN Facebook page. If you want to be internet cool like JD, why don't you submit an onomatopoeia of the week? We love it. Just hit us. I know. Just hit us up on any of our social media platforms or shoot an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Well, since I'm out of the ziggurat this week... I ask you to join Matt and I on the astral plane where we'll be psychically projecting our consciousness into the future to discuss our must-read picks for next week. Why why are you naked? Your astral self is always naked, Matt. Now, what's your pick? Uh, My astral self is wearing the same thing my corporal body is wearing back in the sanctorum. All right. Well, listen, you're not an expert. We'll discuss this later. What's your pick for next Wednesday? (laughs) My pick for next week is Hungry Ghosts, number one from Dark Horse. It's written by Anthony Bourdain and Joel Rose, or Rose, I don't know. Art by Alberto Ponticelli and Vanessa Del Rey, both of which I very much enjoy. It's 28 pages for $3.99. That's a weird length. Here's your solicit. No ads, though. Yeah, fair enough. Dark Horse books don't have ads. That's true. On a dark haunted night, a Russian oligarch dares a circle of international chefs to play the samurai game of... 100 Candles, where each storyteller spins a terrifying tale of ghosts, demons, and unspeakable beings and prays to survive the challenge. That's a run-on sentence. Inspired by the Japanese Edo period game, whoo, Hayaku Manogatari Kai Dan Kai. I'm sure that's how you say that. Hungry Ghost reimagines the classic stories of Yokai, Yorei, and Obaki, all tainted with a common thread of food. First course, with bad consequence, a ramen chef refuses to help a beggar, and a band of pirates gets more and less than they were bargaining for after their encounter with a drowning woman turns ghastly. Hungry Ghost is cooked up by the infamous author and chef, Anthony Bourdain of Kitchen Confidential, and Emmy-winning TV star of Parts Unknown, and acclaimed novelist Joel Rose, who wrote Kill Kill, Faster Faster, Back Again. Oh, these are the guys that teamed up to do Get Giro as well, which we both very much enjoyed is the moral of that story. I think it's going to be fun. I was hesitant to read Anthony Bourdain's Get Giro. We both had a really good time with it. This sounds like Loved it. fun, like ghost story. What am I trying to say? Anthology book, but they're doing one story per issue as opposed to right. three or four, which is where anthologies can fall down sometimes. So I'm, I'm excited for this one. Joe, what's our trade of the week? Um, my pick for next week. Oh, Joe, what's your yeah. pick for next week? <laughs> My pick for next week is Flash Annual Number 1 from DC. It's written by Joshua Williamson with art by Christian Deuce or Ducey or Dutchie. Let's just call him the it's, Deuce. 
The deuce. Start by the deuce. The deuce is loose. It's 48 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. Flash for Prelude. The biggest Flash story of 2018 starts here with a special story starring the classic Wally West, who's conflicted over whether to let Iris know he's alive. And you'll need the help of the Flash to figure out what to do. But when Magenta, Wally's old love, needs his help, the Flash returns home to Keystone City, where he is confronted with violent memories of an unknown world. Ooh, ooh, what does it mean? A major turning point for the Flash family that sets the path for the earth-shattering stories in 2018. I feel like I've been waiting forever for this Flash War storyline to start. It's finally kicking off next week. Major forward momentum with my main man, Wally West. I'm excited about it. The Flash book is really good right now. It is really good. I'm very excited for this storyline. Okay, then. The THN trade of the week goes to is this guy for real the unbelievable andy kaufman from first second books it's written and illustrated by box brown 272 pages for 20 bucks what a deal that's nuts here's solicit comedian and performer andy kaufman's resume was impressive a popular role on the beloved sitcom taxi a high profile stand-up career and a surprisingly successful stint in professional wrestling which is true. Although he was, by all accounts, a sensitive and thoughtful person, he's ironically best remembered for his various contemptible personas, which were so committed, so convincing, that all of his closest family and friends were completely taken in. Why would someone so gentle-natured and sensitive build an entire career seeking the hatred of his audience? What drives a performer to solicit that reaction? Graphic novelist Box Brown takes on the complex and often hilarious life of Andy Kaufman. Cannot wait. I Box Brown does it again. Yeah, this dude, so stupid talented. He introduced our show just a couple weeks ago. Super nice. And uh, yeah, he did. Also wrote the Andre the Giant bio that we loved so much. I can't wait to see what he does. <laughs> and the history of Tetris. Yes, wonderful, wonderful stuff. We want to know what you guys are excited to read next week. So you know what to do. Hit us up on the THN forums or the THN Facebook fan page. Let us know what you are pumped to read next week. You know, put some pants on before you do it. That's all we ask. Seriously. Look, astral projecting, it's different, man. Don't get all hung up on human constructs like nudity. It's and your, hey, that's my problem. Your construct is hanging out. OK. <laughs> If there's one thing that Joe and I love about the show, it's hearing ourselves talk. But every once in a while, we do get sick of it. So we'd like to let somebody else do the talking. And boy, do we have a treat for you. Our very own love slave, Ryan Mount, sat down with comic book writer extraordinaire Aubrey Sitterson. Did you also know? Dude hosts a wrestling podcast. Dude also hosts a serialized fantasy podcast. Because apparently, he doesn't have enough to do. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Ryan Mount's interview with IDW G.I. Joe writer, Aubrey Sitterson. So Ryan Mount here for Two-Headed Nerd, sitting with... Oh, do I say my own name? Yeah, sure. That's, that's not much of an introduction, man. I'm Aubrey Sitterson. <laughs> All right. I thought you were going to talk me up. Or I thought you were going to make me sound good. I was, that's why I was waiting. Sorry. I, did, I <laughs> didn't, cut, breath. didn't cut really great promos yet. Working on it. Working on it. All right. So uh, we're, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about uh, G.I. Joe. I'd like um, to. Yeah. So uh, I know we don't want to get into too much and a, a lot of people have done, you know, pieces about what's kind of going on, but 
Just a real quick history of you and G.I. Joe when you came on, how long you've been doing it for. So I came on my first G.I. Joe writing experience, right? Um, Like as a professional, um, not making up stories for mostly storm shadow because that was my favorite toy uh, and that was just the one that i had but yeah like the first professional experience with gi joe was right in the street fighter gi joe the x is silent and spelled street fighter x gi joe if you're looking for it but that's we don't say it uh street fighter gi joe limited series at idw um and it was just a big you know i pitched it to people as king of the ring right like it's just a big fight comic and it's eight street fighter characters eight gi joe characters beating the bejesus out of each other for six issues. And um, yeah, I, I, I loved, I loved it. It's great. <laughs> I wrote it. Uh, so I wrote that and uh, Hasbro really dug my take on the Joes um, and what I did with that miniseries. And so when IDW started to launch the new like combined, I guess it's not new anymore, but at the time it was the Hasbro verse or whatever people are calling it. Uh, they tapped me to write GI Joe. Cause Hasbro liked what I had done with the, the characters. Uh, that led to the Revolution one shot um, with Yanni. I'm sorry, the artist on uh, Street Fighter GI Joe. She always mentions your artist, uh, Emilio Leso. It's gorgeous, and it's it's really neat because I was really what impressed me most about Emilio's stuff is you know Street Fighter has a very specific aesthetic, right? It's one of the things that people love about all those Capcom games is they look. You see it, and you instantly know you're looking at a Capcom game. Emilio was able to not only you know get that feel without being slavish to it, but also draw the GI Joe characters in a way that made sense in that world. Um, on top of all the crazy action, like martial arts reference that I sent him for all the different (laughs) fights. Um, he did it beautifully. Uh, then I got to work with Yanni Milaniani on, and Lovren Konzerski is the colorist on, um, both the revolution one shot um, that came out of Revolution, and then the new G.I. Joe ongoing. And um, Yanni was the artist for the vast majority of that. We had an Aaron Conley fill-in, um, some coloring fill-ins, and some David LaFuente pages that are really neat, too, um, later on. And then um, the the plan was to end that as like a season, right? Like IDW is doing kind of like season models with a lot of their their um, ongoings. Um, sure, which, are they still ongoings? And then, I don't know. I don't understand the math of it, but yeah, they were going to, uh, they're going to wind those down and then relaunch. And we relaunched that to the same series and continues the same continuity as Scarlet Strike Force. Uh, first issue is out right now. Um, came out um, right at the end of last year. Uh, second one comes out at the end of January. Um, we're going to relaunch that um, new name, new artist, um, Nelson Daniel. You might know from the Clue comics at IDW and Dungeons and Dragons comics, a lot of different stuff. Um, and Ryan Hill on colors and Taylor Esposito is our new letter too. Um, and the plan is to relaunch that as like the new GI Joe title with a different title, obviously. So we do know the book was canceled as mm-hmm. of issue three. Mm-hmm. So I guess the first of like, I know you said you broke it down by season. So was this originally scheduled to be a 12 issue arc? It was going to be eight issues is what we had planned for um, because we had, you know, so the, the full reading order, it's revolution one shot. It's GI Joe one through nine. It's first strike colon GI Joe. It's first strike colon mask. And then it's Scarlet strike force. And then we were going to supposed to, we were supposed to go a full eight issues was, and that was, that was the original plan. I'm maniacal with my outline making um, in part because um, it's just kind of how I like to work. And I like to have a real firm roadmap in place, but also because um, we had a lot of stakeholders, right? Um, not only is it 
Um, am I doing it for a publisher, but it's also part of a shared universe. So that impacts other people. And, um, there's a licensor Hasbro. So yeah, man, like I had everything mapped out kind of very granularly through those eight issues. You know, number three is going to come out, uh, in paper. Uh, are we going to get February in February? Are we going to get any sort of conclusion? Like, is there a a chance for a digital book? There's a chance, um, you know, like I'm, you're asking the wrong guy about that stuff. Um, because you know, if I made the publishing decisions, it would be ongoing and we'd be doing it for five years at least. Right. Um, cause I Issue love writing. number 300. Yeah, dude, that was, I don't know. Like it's, it's sad. It's sad. That's gotten canceled for a lot of reasons, but like one of them is like, I had, you know, one of the touchstones, I talk about this a lot places, but like one of the touchstones for the book, in addition to the Stumbo cartoons, one of the biggest touchstones is classic, Claremont X-Men, however you want to define that, right? Because like, I love all of it, right? Like whether you're talking about um, like Cockrum and Burn stuff, or you're talking about Jim Lee stuff in the nineties, I love it all. I love all like the big spacey soap opera weirdness of it. Um, and I love that it was all, it was just like this ongoing tapestry, you know? And so, um, yeah, dude, like I, I would love to do more, um, but whether there will be any more is not for me to say, you know, like I, and, and I don't, I don't want to, it's not one of these things where it's like, listen, we got to save the book. And if we sell enough copies, they'll bring it back. I don't know. I, I can't even honestly say that because I don't know what the publishing plans are. Uh, Cause I'm not privy to them. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I hope that people do read, even knowing that it's going to end with a cliffhanger and there's only three issues of this thing. I hope people do read them and, um, if they like them, talk about it. Let people know. Um, because it's, I think it's strong work and hopefully it'll help direct people back to what we did on the previous series as well, which I also thought was strong work. So, okay, with the success of uh, Michelle Fifa on Copra, have you thought about doing something? I mean, for those that don't read Copra, it's that of an analog of uh, 1970 Suicide Squad. So, and it's ongoing. It's several volumes in. I mean, have you? It's really neat. It's yeah. really, really neat. Um, dude, he was on my list for um, like variant covers for Scarlet Strike Force. Like when we were getting ready to launch and like um, put everything together, like they, they said, hey, are, are there other folks that you would like to get for variant covers? And yeah, that guy was uh, at the top of the list because yeah, dude, I, I see the similarities too. Um, I, so I'm sorry, the question is- So I, yeah, uh, would, you, would you think about, you know, like, so I'm- I mean, I remember a tweet of you were thinking about doing an indie comic. I mean, would you want to take some of your ideas that you've been building and move it over to a format like that? Yeah, you know, I, I'm i currently working on a few creator-owned things. Um, one with J.B. Rowe, another one with Vasilis Lolos, um, who and we're planning on... Uh, the, the things we're working on are really weird. Um, they're, they're much further out there than and like, got, like GI Joe gets kind of gonzo and it gets strange. Um, but this stuff is aggressively, um, weird and some of it's aggressively off putting. Um, but, but they're very, very specific things. And we're going to be, we're gonna be doing one on our own. Um, so I'm already working on the creator own stuff as for like doing, um, you know, like an off brand version of GI Joe, it's kind of like a tough, it's, it's a tough thing, right? Because like, I don't, on, on the one hand, I think I, I would love to, cause I would love to continue doing more of this stuff and like do it without the constraints of it. And it was really easy working with Hasbro. Um, you know, they didn't send me back crazy notes or anything, but a lot of that's because I'm, I consider myself pretty good at knowing what's going to fly and what's not. Right. So there's certain things that I might've like in an ideal world, if it was my own property, I might've wanted to do, but I knew not to even pitch to Hasbro. Right. Like, like, 
spoiler alert, uh, rock and roll and Skywarp were never going to have a sexual relationship with one another. <laughs> it just wasn't even, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing I was going to suggest, but here's the thing. If it was, if it was Aubrey's just own IP, it, you better you better believe it you better believe it would have been getting sexy we're gonna get deep into the you know human robotic relationship there will be yeah there will be like cutaway anatomy explaining how it works um it'll be it'd be weird uh but yeah no i would i'd I'd love to do that specifically especially right now thinking about it um i it's i don't know I, i go back and forth about it because i don't want to just be seen as the G.I. Joe guy, the G.I. Joe guy who went, once he stopped doing G.I. Joe, started doing not G.I. Joe. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely something that I thought about, um, but I haven't really made any um, concrete moves toward it yet. All right, so I think we've covered G.I. Joe uh, quite a bit, So, and you talked about some creator-owned uh, stuff, but uh, what can you tell us? What is coming next? Uh, so I've got... Uh, Scarlet Strike Force, keep reading. Um, you know, I think that uh, it is going to end on a cliffhanger, right? Like, I'm not going to lie to you and say, oh, it's going to be this nice, <laughs> everything's going to be wrapped up in three issues. It's not. Um, it's, <laughs> but I think that's kind of fun. Uh, it, it's really, it's, we're throwing a lot of balls up in the air. Um, you know, we've been alluding to it um, since the first strike issues. Um, something's going on with Galobulus. Uh, that's a deep cut for old G.I. Joe fans. There are, um, new brand new vipers that look like snake men. Um, there are kind of intra team drama, uh, and turmoil happening. Um, what's it? Uh, shipwreck and gung ho have a burgeoning relationship, uh, which you're going to be seeing more of in these three, these three issues. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. So that's coming out. Uh, first issue's out right now. Second issue out at the end of this month, third issue out, uh, next month. Um, I've got a big giant, graphic novel project that I've been working on for over a year. Um, it's not announced yet. I was hoping it would be by the time we talked, uh, but it hasn't, it's supposed to be announced this month uh, and that'll be out at the end of this year. So um, eyes, eyes to the sky for that as well. So, so you say giant, can we like, we talking like 500 pages or not? Okay. Listen, you're, you're, you're over guessing. So you're now people are gonna be disappointed. No, it's not 500 pages. 1000. It is big. It is big though. It's big. And the subject matter is, uh, is very, it's, it's, it's wide ranging and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big thing. Keep stay tuned. I can't tell you anything else. All right. But it's from, it's from, it is from a, it's, it's a book publisher. It's like, it's going to be a, it's like an original graphic novel thing, not like serialized. Fantastic. So any, anything else that we can talk about? Can't talk. I mean, you seem like you had quite a few uh, fires in the oven there. Yeah, dude. Well, I've got, you know, I've got the, I've got the creator own stuff I'm working on. None of that's really ready to be talking about yet. Right. You don't want to, you don't want to talk too early about things. Um, I am always, you know, I still have my ongoing wrestling podcast is called straight shoot. I do that every Thursday night. Um, Probably by the time this is live, I'll have one up with Juice Robinson, uh, who, if you watch New Japan Pro Wrestling, you might be familiar with him. He's awesome. He's tearing it up over there. And he used to be CJ Parker in NXT, in WWE. Uh, But now he's in New Japan. And that is different. So as somebody who doesn't watch a lot of New Japan, uh, that is not the Juicy Gambino. No, that is not Mr. Mr. Juicy Gino Gambino. That's something entirely. We shouldn't get into that. It's too much. It's too much for for this podcast. Too much for any podcast. Uh, But yeah, no, I'll have a a show up with Juice Robinson very soon. We talk about five. He chose five matches, five of his favorite matches. And I'm going to actually, once I get done here, I'm going to go 
sit down and rewatch them. I've already seen most of them. Uh, and then we're going to talk all about those, what he likes about them and why and how they've influenced him and stuff like that. Um, that's my wrestling podcast, Straight Shoot. I also do a weekly sword and sorcery serial podcast called Scald. That's S-K-A-L-D. Scald is uh, it's a name for a Scandinavian bard basically. Uh, and these guys would sit in the courts of kings and yarls and tell like epic tales and um, poetry and stuff like that. And Scald, I've been doing it for uh, about two and a half years now. Um, and I've never missed a week. Um, it is at least 30 minutes long each week. I write a chapter of this ongoing, like brutal, weird, psychedelic barbarian story. Uh, and then I tell it in one take. And so it's not like, it's not like a radio serial with a bunch of different people chiming in. It's just me. I write it to be spoken, right. With an eye towards that. Um, I read it. I do weird synth noises, um, as like intros, like bring us in and out. Um, and I do one every single week in one take. Um, and that goes up every Tuesday. I think episode 147 came out this week. I work ahead. So I've kind of lost track. And what's the, what's the jumping on? What's the new cycle? It started Start right one, now. Start right now. Start wherever. Uh, that's what I tell people. Cause it's, you know, again, like this is very much my aesthetic, right? Like it's designed to be like an ongoing superhero comic in that like, no, don't go to, don't start at the first issue. That's crazy. Start with them. Start wherever you want. Start with which, whichever one you find. Uh, they're titled. So find a title that interests you or there's the first line is quoted in the description of it. That works. All right. And where can we uh, find you on social media? I am Aubrey Sitterson everywhere. A E B R E Y S I T T E R S O N. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or just go to AubreySitterson.com. Has links to everything comics, uh, podcasts, social media, all that good stuff. And you can buy my books. If I, I've uh, always, if you've got a local comic shop, support them. Um, a lot of people don't have local comic shops or local comic shops don't necessarily stock the stuff they're looking for. So, um, if you're going to be ordering online, uh, order from me, <laughs> go to, go to citizenshop.bigcartel.com. I've got copies of street fire, GI Joe, GI Joe volume one and two. You buy it from me. Not only, you know, does the dough come to me, which is nice. And I like, um, but also I'll sign it. I'll number it. And if you tell me your favorite GI Joe character or street fire character for street fire, GI Joe, I'll do a sketch for you. I have, I have limited artistic abilities, but I, 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 I max them out. I do everything I can, uh, to do sketches in the fronts of these things. Perfect, man. All right. Well, uh, I think we're good. <laughs> right on, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. And uh, I will talk to you soon. Cool, dude. <laughs> Have a good one. If you want to hear the full Ryan Mount Aubrey Sitterson interview, you can head over to our YouTube page. We'll be hosting it there in its entirety. It's good stuff. They go into a lot of nuts and bolts of comic book making, how it works. Interesting stuff for people who are looking to get into the business or just wondering how it works. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 474. But before we get out of here, Joe Patrick, I need you to tell these nerds, or better yet, explain to these nerds the question of the week, because I'm not sure I totally got it. All right. This week's question is a team-up from Black Scorpion the Three and Amy from North Dakota. They were chatting on the forums. They came up with this cool idea. What part of comics continuity... Would you like to make an Elseworld or a what if instead? How would you imagine the current continuity that we know? How would that change without that element? Okay, so give me a for example. 
for example, I mean, I would I would assume it can't be something drastic like Uncle Ben never died. Okay. But it could be like I would I really wish that um, Norman Osborn never shacked up with Gwen Stacy. Okay. <laughs> Let's make that an Elseworlds. But you but you, and pretend it never happened. Okay, but that else. And how could that Elseworld amplify what you put there? So I, I what I think they mean is like so how would how would the regular continuity be different by the removal of that element? Gotcha. Okay. And then how would the new Elseworld like by virtue of it being an Elseworld and anything goes? Right. How could that affect the story that you removed, you know what I'm saying? Okay, I gotcha. Now I'm following you. Like you said on like, what if Teen Tony had never gone away? Like right. you said on cover to cover. Yes. Like, really run with that Teen Tony idea if it's in your heart of hearts. I don't know why it would be. I w- and I want a baseball shirt that just says Teen Tony on it and has a picture of his face. <laughs> <laughs> We're all Teen Tony. Guys and girls, THN is a listener-supported podcast, and we want to thank everyone that risked their reputation by supporting this show on PayPal and Patreon. Without you nerds, we can't afford all the haunted tikis I brought back from Hawaii. Get ready for some serious bad luck, Joe Patrick. <laughs> Just like Bobby Brady. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our good friend Andrea Shockling, who, if you're really paying attention, got the shout-out the last time we recorded it's a podcast. True. It's true. <laughs> Andrea just got accepted into the UK's prestigious Thought Bubble Comics Festival. She didn't think she was going to make it, and she did. Word to you, Andrea. Congratulations. But now she's got to pay for that trip. So head to her Patreon. Consider buying an original art commission to support her. She does great work. I'm going to put a link to her page in the show notes. And yeah. She's been really killing it with her comics work this year, and she deserves this honor, and it's a very cool thing. Thought Bubble is a big deal. It's a very big deal. Yeah. Word to you, Andrea. That is awesome. Until next time, True Believers, remember to pre-order your comics, or your retailer just might start projecting some nasty thought bubbles at you. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. You might be looking at your construct. Ooh.